Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are in the mood for fantasy football. We are Pro Football Network. I'm your host, BJ Rudell. With me, as always, is Tommy Garrett. You can reach me at Twitter, BJ Rudell. And you can reach Tommy at Twitter, at Tommy Garrett, PFN. And uh, we are Pro Football Network. You can find us on profootballnetwork.com. We're going to talk about start sits for Sunday, week eight. We're also going to talk about injuries because those two are intertwined. This week, if I can get my fingers around each other, they're intertwined. We're going to start with one of the biggest stories of the week, Dak Prescott. Tommy, what is going on in Dallas? Is it, do you think Dak Prescott will play? Uh, and if he does, what do we expect? If he doesn't, what concerns do you have? I mean, does anyone know in Dallas if he's going to play or not? Because they're just talking out of both sides of their mouth. And it's not surprising with the Jerry Jones team that he says whatever the hell he wants while the team says whatever they want. Um, Dak's clearly not feeling right. He's already said that the decision for him to play is out of his hands. Um, he said he's, they are feeling a little bit more sore. His calf is after yesterday's practice. Um, it, it's expected about there to, on Friday. Uh, but they've already come out here and said that this is not a single game season. There's a long road they have to look ahead of. And it's the longest road in the NFL's history because we had the addition of the 17th game. Uh, I would not be surprised if they sick Dak Prescott because this is a Dallas Cowboys team that they are getting healthier and getting guys back, so there's no point to jeopardize their future by letting Dak Prescott get injured further. Um, you've got the Minnesota Vikings this week, which should have been a, a great game. Uh, it was one of the highest over-under spreads of the week. I think it was like a 51 at one point. Earlier today, Cowboys were like minus three. It's already been flipped by like six points. They're now like a plus three underdog uh, going into this game. So, I mean, Vegas, it seems like they are leaning towards Dak Prescott not playing because um, there's always the the risk of him going out there getting re-injured uh, like we've seen far too many players do. So if it was if it was me, look, Dallas, just throw out Cooper Rush. Uh, granted, you might have as good of a chance of a scoring as Urban Meyer at a bar, but look, you've got to go out there and protect your star quarterback at a, to a certain point. We saw Case Keenum do it uh, with Cleveland with some great running from Dearness uh, Johnson. And of course, I feel like almost anyone can be a Cowboys QB if you've got Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard combining yeah. for let's say 40 touches um so it's it it's one of those cases where man if you're like me and you have cd lamb or if you've got amari cooper you'd be in a lot of trouble but if you got zeke elliott or tony pollard i feel like they would be must starts in those situations I mean, we saw yeah exactly we saw how much the wide receivers dropped last year once that came out of the lineup at least this year it's not gonna be for an extended period of time right and uh just real quick baker mayfield looks like he could play Yep. Uh, uh, is that going to be materially different than anything we saw out of Case Keenum or anything we've seen pre-injury for Baker Mayfield? I mean, what is what is the good news uh, fantasy-wise if Baker Mayfield is in the lineup? 
Uh, the good news is that Nick Chubb is back. I mean, let alone what Baker Mayfield does. Like, I don't care who you have at center. They're going to hand the ball to Nick Chubb 30 times in this game. Um, the big thing for the Cleveland Browns is, whether it's um, Baker Mayfield or whether it's Case Keenum, it's trying to protect them from the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense line. Like, this is where that game is going to be besides the defensive line. Can the Steelers keep uh, Miles Garrett, uh, Tack McKinley, uh, Jadavian Clowney, can they keep them off of Big Ben who can't move? And can the Steelers keep, if you do have Baker Mayfield in there, can you keep guys like um, JJ uh, TJ Watt off of him and protect that shoulder? Obviously, it's, you want to have Baker Mayfield out there. I think it was even in week seven when he already had injured his shoulder. He actually had the second longest pass of that week, and it's like the fourth right. longest pass in terms of air yards of the season. He traveled like 61 yards in the air with already that destroyed shoulder. Uh, so if he's out there, he can still sling the ball and he can play well. Um, but it depends on whether he's going to have his full complement of receivers and to what extent they will be out there. But if you have Baker Mayfield, I don't think you're really wanting to play him anyway this week, even if it was him or Case Keenum in fantasy football. It's This is going to be a very much a Nick Chubb and running-based game, uh, even without Kareem Hunt. So it's, I, I would not be playing Baker Mayfield, but it's good to at least see him making progress and getting healthy. It is good for a team that had Super Bowl aspirations to at least yeah. start to get a little bit more healthy and and to have Chubb back. I do think Jarvis Landry is one of those interesting, you know, um, uh, flyers that you throw out there because he could be easily the number one guy for Cleveland for the foreseeable future. Uh, targets, well, absolutely. Yeah, and if he's getting eight to ten targets tomorrow and he's catching six balls, which is entirely realistic, you're looking realistically at ten plus points. And for most leagues you start a guy like Landry knowing that you've got a pretty good baseline of about 10 points. Yeah, um, I mean, the Steelers don't necessarily have a very good secondary. Like, you've got Mika Fitzpatrick, but at the corners, they don't have anyone that can keep up with Jarvis Landry. You've got Odo Beckham Jr. hurt. You've got Donovan Peoples Jones hurt also. This should be a funnel game if they do pass the ball towards Jarvis Landry in that middle to intermediate range. Very good call. I can visualize it now. Austin Eckler, running back, did oh, not boy. practice today. It's Friday when we're recording this. Did not practice yesterday. Man, uh, Joshua Kelly, Justin Jackson, uh, Roundtree. Roundtree. Yeah. What, what is is there anyone you can rely on if Eckler doesn't go, or do you just say, forget it, I'm out of the Chargers backfield game, I'm going somewhere else? I think for me, if it's if it's Austin, if it's not Austin Eckler, I'm passing because they have a good enough offense with Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, uh, Jared Cook, even Donald Parham, uh, Jalen Guyton, Josh Palmer. Like, you've got plenty at receiver to go through a game without needing to rely on um, Austin Eckler. The New England Patriots haven't been a great team to try to run the ball against anyway. Uh, right now they're sitting 13th in fantasy points allowed per game. So it's it's one where it's a tough enough matchup with a backup running back I'd probably be avoiding. And not just that, but it's you're trying to play darts at which one of these guys is the better yeah. play that week between Justin Jackson, Kelly, or Roundtree. Roundtree is kind of getting back, getting healthy. Uh, it's probably going to be Justin Jackson if it would be my guess, but it's just a guess, and he would be nothing better than like a, a lower in flex play or someone you're considering in a deeper league. It's They don't have, necessarily have a plug-and-play running back to fill in for Eckler, which is why we've always kind of seen the Chargers mentioned in running back trade talks and conversations that they they could use another solid stable running back to where Eckler can still do his work in the passing game, get him some running game running attempts, but almost model what the Saints used to have with Kamara and Latavius Murray at one point Mark Ingram, where you have that dual threat running back, but you also have a guy who can get you those those dirty yards up the middle in a stacked box, third and four, give it to him or whatever. Um that so is personally great. I would be I'd be looking to fade to fade if it was not Austin Eckler, which right now it's not looking like after back-to-back, uh, did not practice. 
Yeah, I am struck by ever since Melvin Gordon left the Chargers, um, I'm struck that they have not figured out that Eckler is not bell cow material. That's not where he's most valuable. He shouldn't be touching it 20 times a game. He's a he, he's a glorified situational back from where I'm sitting. He's exceptional. Um, I think he's better than that. But I mean, I, I can see I can see your standpoint though. I, th thank you. <laughs> that you know, if he's getting 10 rushes and seven, you know, and six receptions a game. Like that's to me, that's where he's best, but there should be someone else carrying the ball 10 times yes. and yes. there's not. And so anytime he lines up, the expectation is like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, this is, it, it's, it's not like they have a, you know, thunder lightning kind of combination they can go to. Um, so I really like your analogy of the saints cause that works well. And thanks for pushing back on Eckler. Cause I think I did downplay him a little bit too much. Uh, well, Mark Ingram situational. It's, we use situational, okay, it's, it's situations like we don't want to always play him or it's situational as he is excellent in these certain situations in a game. And I think that's yes. the, the difference in the word, the way the term is used. Situationally, you can use Austin Eckler however you want to on the field. He's going to be one of the most efficient backs in the NFL. Yes, great call. Mark Ingram uh, joining the Saints, uh, getting out of Houston. Um, uh, people are looking back and saying, look at his great numbers when he was with the Saints back when he was in his 20s. Yes. Um, you're in your twenties, right, Tommy? So what, tell me, tell me, tell me what you think Mark Ingram at 31 and something years old yeah, can um, do for the uh, Saints. Look, I'm younger than Mark Ingram. And I'm sure as hell not about to line up in the backfield and go up against any NFL player. <laughs> um, you're not getting back the magic that the Saints once had in that 2016, 2017, 2018 kind of range where, Ingram kind of took over and then they drafted Alvin Kamara and then they, they both took off and one of the best backfield tandems in the NFL at that time is something that teams are still trying to replicate top eight um, right were they both top eight that year oh close to it uh, yeah. they both had like incredible years yeah um, it was Kamara was his his touchdown upside which is something he's always brought but anyway it's the thing with with Ingram is you're trying to bring him in to take away some of the the utilization of Kamara on the ground. Like, Cause right now Kamara is on pace for like over 300 carries yeah. this season. Last time I remember um, that's not what you want him doing. It's like, we kind of talked about with Austin Eckler. Like there's a reason these two guys are very closely um, considered in the same conversations a lot of times, because they back bring a similar skill set. They're good runners, but even better out of the backfield. And I think where we've kind of seen Kamara fall down, even though sitting at the RB five in fantasy, that's not necessarily a, drastic fall down like some were expecting with the absence of Drew Brees and Jameis Winston and their quarterback is you can we're wanting to see more targets we kind of we got to see that a little bit in the past two weeks but if you bring in Melvin Gordon or another dynamic running back because they they expected this to be Tony Jones after they let go of Latavius Murray so by bringing that in you're now able to put Kamara outside or put him into the slot where right. he's an instant mismatch so you're now can keep him on the field but in an instantly more advantageous role so not only are you saving his body from the wear and tear of pounding the pounding the ball constantly, but you move him into the outside where we know he can be. He's a legitimate wide receiver. He's like Le'Veon Bell was in his prime. Bell would have been a top 24 wide receiver in fantasy football if that was the only position he played. Remove all of the running ability. Alvin Kamara could be the same thing. Like We call it the Texas route, you know, when the running back comes out, does that, in, that up and in. That should honestly be renamed to the Camara. Like he's that good of a receiver. Jameis Woods can take advantage of him. So we're going to be maybe seeing more opportunities for him in a, as a receiver. I would love seeing that person for Camara. So for me, I like the move from Mark Ingram to the Saints more for what he does for Alvin Camara than anything that's going to do for Mark Ingram's fantasy value. Good call. So all of you who have Ingram, uh, 
uh, you've been warned. Uh, this is not uh, in, in the same way. We can uh, move quickly to David Johnson, who inherits, we believe, yep. some of Mark Ingram's usage. And Philip Lindsay will probably get involved for Houston. Is there any reason to believe that David Johnson could be an RB3 going forward? Is he going to get 15 touches or does this just mean more work for Lindsay? It's okay. Even if he's getting 15 touches, how many of those are coming in the red zone? How many of those are even coming inside the five? Um, We know how important scoring opportunities are for a running back. Like look at James Conner right now. There's a reason he's playing so well. It's because he's getting opportunities inside that 10 yard line to score those rushing touches. Um, you're not getting that with the Houston Texans, whether it's Davis Mills or eventually Tyrod Taylor. Uh, you're just not going to get that on this offense. So even if you get, you know, 10 to 15 touches, if they're coming inside the 40s, even in the 30s, that's really not getting you much. Like you're getting around like 0.6 points per carry, and you're relying on him to eventually get a couple targets in a game. Like it's a backfield that I and we weren't really looking forward to, regardless. I mean, when they brought in Mark Ingram. They bring in let's say they bring in um, uh, Rex Burkhead. You bring in yeah. Philip Lindsay. Like you yeah. had this mismatch that didn't make a lot of sense, and to me, it still doesn't make sense. And it's not something I'm looking forward to even trying to touch, unless you're in a deep league and it's a desperation play. And if if Houston moves Brandon Cooks before November second, yes. it really cuts into this backfield because now you're losing the only chain mover that you have in Houston. Mm-hmm. Brandon um, Cook's the only player you can actually trust right now. And on the back end, like you're hoping Nico Collins turns into something. But if you take away the passing game out of this, why would you not just play eight men in the box cover one? Like, yeah. There's no reason to do anything else. That's right. Um, great call, Tommy. Uh, Antonio Gibson, can we trust him? Um, I've no. been writing for a couple of weeks. No, Good. All right. We're in agreement <laughs> on that. What, what's your, what should managers do right now if they have Gibson? If you've got Gibson and if you have a manager in your team, this is something we mean you've been kind of talking about for the past couple of weeks is if you have a manager in your league that still believes Antonio Gibson is a low-end RB1, high-end RB2, like he finished the season last year, move him before the fancy trade deadline. Because um, they're going to continue to care about his workload, to manage his snaps, manage his reps, and the wear and tear that's coming onto that shin. Like, broken bones don't heal quickly. Like, that's just not a thing. Um, I mean, unless, unless you're like Adrian Peterson, then um, maybe he can be the he can do it. Uh, but yeah, it's I'm worried about Antonio Gibson. Like his value last year was heavily inflated from his touchdown efficiency. At one point last year, he had seven touchdowns on 55 carries, which is just completely unsustainable. We knew that was going to happen, but right. there's so much upside with Antonio Gibson. So like as much as I can sit here and say like the injury hurts him. If he if he wasn't injured, yeah, he would be that high end RB two. Um, so you could try to trade him away. Hopefully someone thinks that he's going to be healthy by the time the playoffs come and they're going to have a, a standout RB2. Um, I'd have to double-check their schedule anyway to see if that was even worth doing. Um, but right now, it's it's hard to trust him as anything more than like a low-end RB2 rather than someone who's closer to an RB1, given all this yeah. way this offense and his injury. And they've got Denver, then a bye, then Tampa Bay, then they're at Carolina. It's just a, yeah, it's I want a, nothing to do with that. It's a tough haul. Uh, I'm, I'm being more generous. Yes, go with Tommy. You don't want anything to do with that. And also, you know, his receptions are down. There was a lot of thought this, yep. this, this summer of, well, he caught 36 balls in 14 games. That's only going to go up. In fact, it's gone down. He's caught 14 balls in seven games. So, uh, you know, he's on pace uh, to be about 25% below mm-hmm. his reception rate from last year, which is the opposite 
of what people were hoping for when they drafted him in the second round in most leagues. Well, there so, were the concerns that the the receptions were going to go down more for J.D. McKissick than anyone just because right. of the addition of Curtis Samuel. So yes. you've got Curtis Samuel who's out, and you also have Logan Thomas who is out. So it's right now he should be getting more targets than any time uh, yeah. throughout the season. It's not even necessarily going to McKissick. It's kind of going just pretty much just to Terry McLaurin and maybe some to Ricky Seals-Jones. That's right. That's right. Um, and then uh, it is interesting, by the way, also in week one, when Ryan Patrick was healthy, uh, uh, yeah. Gibson had five targets. He had three receptions. He has not hit either of those marks in any game since yeah. with Taylor Heineke. So it, it, it stands to reason whether that was just a fluke against the Chargers or uh, was a quarterback change. Did that also create some change in, in a shift in strategy that diminished uh, Gibson's role? Um, uh, shifting gears, uh, the final uh, running back combo, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott, a little bit of Jordan Howard. There's some buzz that Howard might recapture the magic. Um, there's some buzz that Boston Scott might do something. There's some buzz coming from me that Kenneth Gainwell is the only guy to start in this backfield and he's going to get 10 plus points because what do the Eagles have to lose at this point at two and five yeah. to feature their their rookie and uh, give him a chance to, you know, basically see what they have in him these next three weeks while Sanders is out. Um, and by the way, before I turn it over to you, Tommy, the Eagles schedule is painfully easy the rest of the way. It is shocking. Uh, six yeah. of their game, remaining games are against teams with two wins or less, but three of their next four games are against teams with four wins or more. Once they get over that hump, it's smooth sailing almost the rest of the way. Tons of giant games and Washington games and so on and so forth. So right now, heading into week eight, is Gainwell a guy you can trust? Or do you? is it similar to Houston's backfield where you just don't want any part of it? I feel a little safer with this backfield because this is a team that can actually score points um, compared to, to Houston. Um, the question is, is Nick Sarani ever going to actually just commit to running the ball. He hasn't done that yet with Miles Sanders, so am I going to expect him to do that now with Kenneth Gainwell, who was honestly brought in more for his receiving ability, which is why the the dynamic between Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell, for as good of a runner as Kenneth Gainwell is, like I have no questions about that. Like These guys are both kind of in the similar uh, skill set. They mm-hmm. both are guys who are very good at um, out of the backfield where – it's I could see Jordan Howard coming in here and being that more of that that rusher if they do bring him in there, kind of like what we've seen him do. I don't want to see that because if you add in that third carrier, you're just limiting the upside of everyone. I would love to see Kenneth Gainwell get the 15 touches. I think it's probably going to be more in the 10 to 12 with majority of those probably coming through targets. Uh, this week they get Detroit, so we're going to find out a lot about if they want yeah. to use them or not in a game that we expect Philly to get up on pretty quickly. I don't love the matchup the next two weeks, like I said, against the Chargers and against Denver. Then you get New Orleans, but by that, and by that time, you're probably getting Miles Sanders back because it's a three uh, three week minimum on the IR. Uh, so that the the window for Kenneth Gainwell and his relevance might be overshadowed by the matchups here and then the return of Miles Sanders for when they actually get that easy schedule to take advantage of. I got to trade him immediately after this podcast. Um, His value is at the highest it'll ever be. For yeah, this season. that's great. I think you're right. Dynasty still good for what he is. Absolutely. Whether JD McKissick, yes. maybe down the road. Uh, switching over to receiver, uh, Corey Davis is out. Let's keep this quick, Tommy. Is there, do you trust Jamison Crowder? Nope. Uh, no. Okay. Let's move on. T.Y. Hilton. <laughs> uh, Michael, I just wanted to get through that as quickly as possible. Uh, I, I Michael, can't get it through it any quicker than one word. <laughs> is uh, Hilton 
uh, if T.Y. comes back, we saw what he did, four catches, 80 yards, mm-hmm. when he was healthy, then he got knocked out. Can we trust Hilton to damage uh, the sheen on Michael Pittman's fantasy armor? Uh, or is uh, is Pittman still kind of the number one, even if Hilton plays? Who do you trust more? I think Pittman will be the number one, even when Hilton does return. Like I think we saw the, the Colts made a concerted effort to get Hilton heavily involved in his first game back. That's why you say him get those four targets. And that was like the one game where Pippen all of a sudden kind of saw him drop back down to earth and why everyone's kind of wondering, okay, what's going to happen? Is this going to be now the trend moving forward? I think it's more like T.Y. Hilton brings you a little bit that that vertical threat. Like even at his age, like defenses are going to worry about him. Um, Pippen's going to be that red zone receiver. And I think right now he's built up enough of a rapport with Carson Wentz. I think he's going to maintain his number one role on that offense in that low end RB uh low end wide receiver two higher end like wide receiver three kind of territory like the back end of the 20s in rankings if you got like a full slate Hilton's going to come in maybe like the wide receiver four ish range kind of low end uh kind of like I'm in that wide receiver 50 uh kind of bubble where it's all, everyone's kind of like bunched in together not much separates them it goes, it's going to come down to touchdown upside for T.Y. Hilton uh personally like I would still prefer Michael Pittman over him um, but if you're in a desperation play, like T.Y. Hilton could make could make some moves, make your rosters in a bye week situation like we had uh, last week. I could see him making some play, but I don't think it's going to be enough to really take away the upside of Michael Pittman. Yeah, I think the Colts are a fascinating team. It's it, yeah. it, their their record doesn't show the talent that they clearly have. Carson Wentz, like you've pointed out, uh, once he could walk without a limp, that yes. goes a long way to making a quarterback better. Um, and uh, uh, you laid that out very clearly a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and so the question becomes, you know, is this just Jonathan Taylor, you know, rushing 25 times a game uh, or as Wentz continues to get more comfortable in this offense and is healthy, mm-hmm. do we start to see the best passing attack since Andrew Luck in, in Indianapolis? Um, That's a low bar because, I mean, they didn't have much after him. That's true. Well, you know, Jacoby Brissett and, uh, and I don't know who else, but, uh, but yeah, I was, I thought it was a good line when I thought of it. Um, yeah, Philip Rivers. That's right. Uh, Jerry, Judy, I have very strong opinions about this, but I know listeners want to hear yours first. Tell me, what do you think about Jerry, Judy coming back? What does it mean to Cortland Sutton? Could Judy be the number one, uh, or is it still Sutton's to lose? Man, I, I would love to do what we think he can do. Uh, he's electric, uh, and he's got some of the quickest routes that you see. Like he's, I love just watching him run routes. So some guys in the NFL, you just enjoy watching. To me, Jerry Judas is one of them because he he can bend in ways like the body shouldn't do that. He's got he's got elastic Achilles and elastic uh, ACL. Uh, he's still managing some soreness there, thinking that he could play. I don't like trusting someone with a could play uh, label, so I would be looking probably not to play him this week. Personally, I would probably lean more towards Sutton, um, but I'm very much more on the risk adverse side of things when it comes to injuries, regardless of the upside. It's like, if this guy is coming in, I think he's going to be a chance or he's going to get re-injured. Like I tend to not want to play those guys. Like we've talked about earlier with Curtis Samuel, Kadarius Tony, uh, Mike Williams the other week. And it's, they kind of all kind of fit that trend. Like if a guy's coming in banged up, I kind of want to stay away from him because I don't want to have that guy come in. First drive, boom, he's back out. I, I'm sitting there with a goose egg on my roster. Um, I think Judy's going to be fine moving forward, but it's all going to come down to can the Broncos get him the ball and can this right. offense put drives together? That's trusting Teddy Bridgewater to do this. I'm assuming it's going to be Bridgewater moving forward. I'm not getting into the whole Drew Lock kind of debate. Like, 
Bridgewater last week, he could barely walk. He could had to jump off the podium because he couldn't put weight on his hip. Give me a healthy uh, Teddy Bridgewater who's actually been playing decent football with a full complement of receivers like he had in the beginning of the year. I think right. this offense gets better, and that in turn means Jerry Judy ends up being like a wide receiver three in fantasy football. I, I thought that – I've always thought Bridgewater was uh, overrated as a fantasy player, um, yeah, and at the same fun. time – uh, no team has built a uh, uh, no franchise has built a team around Bridgewater since maybe 2015. He's kind of been thrown into situations since he had those terrible injuries of yep. just coming in and being a fill-in. And what's amazing to me is that as a fill-in in Denver, even with Judy out, he's arguably having the best quarterback season any Denver quarterbacks had since 2014. Um, granted. When we look at the context of that and the other quarterbacks who've been quarterbacks since 2014, mm-hmm. including Peyton Manning's uh, awful last season, uh, there there isn't much to show for it. But Bridgewater has brought stability to that offense. The one concern I have about Judy is what happens to Tim Patrick? Uh, maybe the easy answer is Tim Patrick uh, gets phased out. But I wouldn't phase out if I were, you know, uh, I shouldn't say it like this, but Tim Patrick is is a very capable receiver. I don't Absolutely. see how he just completely gets phased out. Yeah. I wonder whether they figure out how to still get Patrick involved. And now you've got Teddy Bridgewater, who's not a top 14 quarterback, doesn't do high volume type of passing. He's trying to feed Sutton, Judy, Patrick, and Fant while also having two guys in the backfield who can run it very well. And, and my concern about Judy is people are reacting to what they saw last year as a rookie when he played alongside Deshaun Hamilton and KJ Hamler, and they're saying, let's get that Judy back. Well, it could take a few weeks before we see that Judy. And oh, by the way, he's going to be competing with Cortland Sutton, who we didn't have to worry about last year. I just don't think Judy is going to be a reliable fantasy option. I think he's going to be a, you know, pick your spots, roll the dice and hope he gets you 10 points. But I, and I agree that his future in the NFL is very bright. I just don't think this year there's enough to go around to keep Judy well fed. Um, and I see by Tommy's nod, he's giving me the last word on that. Uh, two more: uh, Sterling Shepard and Kadarius Tony uh, look at this point on Friday afternoon, based on their practices, that they uh, could suit up on Sunday. Uh, Kenny Galladay looks uh, continually doubtful. I'm very glad I traded him away uh, a few weeks ago when his value could not have been higher. Um, what do you make of this? Uh, is Sterling Shepard uh, or Kadarius Tony worth starting uh, in a great matchup? Or I hate to say it, Darius Slayton, because I know you've had a, a few words about Slayton as a fantasy uh, uh, possibility. What happens to these three guys? Are any of them startable? I'm worried about Shepard because he would be the defect. He would be the clear cut wide receiver one. Even when everyone was healthy, he was the wide receiver one. Uh, but with him not practicing, I don't think he's probably going to suit up. And even if they do play Kadarius Tony, you're dealing with the same, same situation we were a couple weeks ago, where he goes out there, watch him be a game time decision. He goes through, runs some routes, doesn't look good, and they end up sitting him. Uh, so personally for me, I'd be fading away this one. Like I said, even though it is a good matchup, we do we love targeting uh, the Chiefs passing defense right now because they can't stop hardly anyone. And it's going to be a high-scoring game, we would think, if they're going to try to keep up. Uh, with Patrick Mahomes and this team, assuming Patrick Mahomes stops turning the ball over, but that's a whole different story. Um, yeah, for me, it's I think you're looking like it said a Darius Layden game um, in terms of the passing aspect. Um, maybe you could throw back in some Dante Pettis, possibly um, uh, Mark um, Evan Ingram if he's out there. Like 
in a that's a, a desperation play tight end, obviously. But the thing with Evan Ingram is, if this roster was completely full, he'd be an afterthought. Right. But if I'm running out there with a Darius Slayton, Dante Pettis, and it's going to be a high scoring game, may that's when a chance when Ingram has a chance to get in the O year. Your yeah. seven plus targets in a game like this is the only opportunity he's going to get to maintain his relevancy. But with his, like I said, if it was a stacked offense, then absolutely not. Um, yeah, yeah it's, I don't like it. It sucks. Like I said, I'd love to target this game more, but it's just injuries and the New York Giants are just yeah an incredible matchup this year. Like I haven't seen anything like this in a long time. Yeah, uh, with that many injuries, that many key receivers yeah. and their running back. The, uh, we haven't it, mentioned like Saquon Barkley. Like yeah, still dealing with that. I, yeah, they're still they're still dealing with that for the last two and a half years, or whatever. Um, so uh, if Shepard and Tony do play, then it gets really messy because now you're looking at well, Daniel Jones makes complete sense. I think if he has uh, most of his guys back, but you are rolling the dice. Anytime someone comes back from a serious injury, that first game back, you just don't know. Tommy called it a few weeks ago with Curtis Samuel. There's been other, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. We saw it Thursday night. Um, you know, hamstring injury. He's only missed one game his whole career uh, in, you know, eight plus seasons. And then, you know, he, he, he can't finish and, uh, and he comes back in and then he can't finish. It's just a, these, and none these, of these guys have the track record of DeAndre Hopkins. That's right. That's right. You never, I mean, you know, you could see Tony get knocked out on one play. Uh, like we saw, I believe a couple weeks ago, if memory serves. Yes. So it's, I mean, if these, these guys are, are active, I don't care if they're active. I'm not playing them. Right. Regardless. So uh, yeah, Tony, it was pre, it was pregame that he it just it wasn't feeling right, and so that was the issue that came up. So you're just rolling the dice on an individual level, um, and you just want to pay attention. If you do have Slayton, you want to wait around till Sunday morning and see if you can put him in your lineup if Shepard or Tony are sitting. And finally, um, I'm a big fan, as some of you are back home or at work, wherever you're listening to this. Pat Fryermuth, uh, uh, Eric Ebron, hurt. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a mixed blessing for Pittsburgh, perhaps, uh, Ebron is, is not the answer in that offense. Um, he hasn't been the answer for a couple seasons, uh, in the yeah, NFL he played well last year. What's that? He played well last year. Was he good last year? I thought he was, I, he has, he's always had issue with drops. He's, uh, 56 he's, receptions on 91 targets for 560 yards and five touchdowns. Okay. So he was a top 14, top yeah. 16. But That's a lot fair. of that came in like a single stretch. They had like an incredible matchup. Okay. So, I, and I remember most weeks last year, Abron was one of those guys that you just couldn't recommend starting because it was a tough, mm-hmm. but to your point, you know, he, he had top 14 tight end numbers. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I still look back fondly at 2018 with the Colts when oh, he just course. dominated. But Pat Fryermuth, second round pick, rookie, um, Juju Smith-Schuster out for the year. Obviously, they got James Washington coming in to help with Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, but it seems like this could be a Friarmouth moment. It seems like this is a chance for him to step in and actually be, you know, the next coming of Heath Miller from the yeah. previous generation of Steelers, the earlier days of Ben Roethlisberger when he had another 550-yard, five-touchdown guy, um, someone who was consistently getting you six to nine points a week. Is Friarmouth that guy? I think he can be. I mean, you, you like you, you mentioned it right there. You didn't hit the nail on the head. It's something I just said too. Like when the Pittsburgh Steelers are even look at him, like they view him as Heath Miller 2.0. And he's actually getting the same reception from the fans every time he catches the ball. They're all kind of doing a cheer. The same thing they did to Heath uh, when he caught the ball. But it's it's like Evan Ingram hasn't been an asset for the Steelers. Like if you look back over his last five games, 
all of his games, he's had less than 10, uh, 10 yards in every single one of them. Like the only game he's had done anything, his highest total so far this year was 19 yards in week one on one catch. Yeah. Like, it's not like yeah. he's taken anything away from Pat Fryermuth. Fryermuth last week catches all seven of his passes for 58 yards. We've seen right. him get into the end zone. We've seen him also do it once already also the season where it got called back due to a uh, penalty. Like I love Pat Fryermuth. I think he's going to be great for the Pittsburgh Steelers, even though they had gaping and glaring holes on the offensive line. They loved him enough coming out of Penn State to say, look, we want him to be the future of our offense and to get back to that tight end era that we used to have, like I saying, with a Heath Miller. So I love Pat Frymouth. I hope he goes off in this one. Cleveland's not a great matchup for uh, for tight ends. They're athletic enough where they can kind of keep up with them. Um, but I would love to see Pat, Pat Frymouth go off. But I think it's if he does it, it's based off his skills and nothing that Eric Ebron has been taking away from him because, quite frankly, he's done relatively nothing so far this season. Yeah, and he. Um, uh, this is one of those cases where you sometimes see the young guy taking over for you know the aging veteran, yeah. and it's kind of um, uh, cliche when it when it happens. But if it, if it didn't happen so much, it wouldn't you know it wouldn't be true, and that's why we call it a cliche because sometimes cliches are true. And th- this is the case in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, if you're in a dynasty league, uh, Friermuth is a fantastic guy to acquire if it's not too late. If you can convince your opponent that Abron will be back in a week and it's not going to matter. But Fryermuth is one of those guys that um, we don't know who's going to be the Steelers quarterback next year. This offense could be significantly upgraded and you get a guy with Fryermuth's talent in a better offense than what Ben Roethlisberger can give at his age and at his uh, uh, physical ailments. Um, it is quite possible that Fryermuth becomes, you know, another Austin, uh, excuse me, another Austin Hooper, um, a guy who's a real playmaking number three target in an offense. Um, and that's not a far-fetched vision for a guy with that skill set. So um, good. Uh, we are done here. Many thanks again to Tommy Garrett, my colleague at Pro Football Network. Again, I'm BJ Rudell. Um, this is a crazy week. There's a lot of stuff coming down to the wire. Uh, Pay close attention. Uh, Follow Tommy and I on Twitter as well as Pro Football Network. Uh, Tune in to our Twitter spaces on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. You can check that out through our Twitter account and and, uh, sign up. And you can listen to a final pep talk on start sits before the games. And uh, in the meantime, have a great Saturday.